morning, welcome. Hello there. Anybody? SOS? Hey, thank you. Yes, I see that hand. Good morning. Isn't it great to be able to be together? Thank you, Lord. And my name is Mark. If you're here for the first time, if you're here for the baby dedication or you're here for some other, by some other means, some other reason, welcome. I get to bring the sermon this morning. I get to serve as one of the elders here. If you're watching online, greetings. Welcome to you too. We are uh, in a, a series in 2 Corinthians called Old Made New. Tonight, uh, today's message is titled Cheerfully Generous, and this completes a three-week tour of the longest section on giving in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. So, all right, here's the headline. We're talking about money. And money is hard to talk about, isn't it? For a lot of different reasons. And the reality is if you're new to our church or you're uh, visiting or, or, or watching online for the first time, we don't preach a lot about money. We mostly just preach through the Bible. And whatever comes up, well, we listen to what God has to say to us uh, about that. And the reality is money is a huge part of life, isn't it? Like you can't imagine life without money. You got to have money, do things with money. You need money, all, all these things. And, and so money comes up in scripture because Christianity isn't just something for an hour or two on a Sunday morning. God speaks into every part of our lives. Christ has come to reclaim every square inch of our lives, even the financial part. And so let's hear what God has to say to us this morning in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 15. Julia Marinick is going to read the passage for us. Second Corinthians 9, 6 through 15. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he is distributed freely, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Will they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Amen. Thank you, Julia. Let's pray. Oh God, we ask that you would make grace abound to us through this message so that we may abound 
in every good work and be a cheerfully generous people for the glory of your name. Amen. When we moved here, when my family moved here, our kids ranged in age from 12 to 2. When we got here, it was summer, and uh, we didn't know very many people, so they had lots of free time on their hands, and they spent lots of time at the neighborhood pool. Thank you, Lord, for a neighborhood pool. They just loved the water. They loved the slide. They loved splashing around, throwing the ball with friends, the occasional ice cream cone, all that came with being at the pool and in the water. But they didn't always love the pool. We took them when they were little for swimming lessons. And as I recall, all four of them were pretty reluctant swimmers. It took some coaxing. It took some encouragement. It took some water wings, floaties, you know, things to kind of get them in there. And it took some really nice instructors. Uh, At some point, each one of them, they made that transition from kind of being scared of the water and reluctant about the pool to just jumping in. And it became a place of joy and delight for each one of them. Today's passage is about a group of people who are reluctant. They're not reluctant about swimming, but they're reluctant about giving. They're reluctant about sharing what they have with a group of Christians that are in need. So today's passage is really the answer to this question. How can you help a reluctant giver become a cheerful giver? How can you help a reluctant giver become a cheerful giver? So the topic is money and generosity. And so as we come to that, we might just do a little just self-check. Like when you think about money, how do you feel? If your friends were to describe your relationship with money, what kinds of words might they use? And the reality is money can be a source of a lot of stress and anxiety, can it? And I'm sure that there are people here this morning that feel anxious and worried and stressed out about money. Others, you may find yourself kind of thinking maybe you ought to be a little more generous and give some more, but maybe a little reluctant or kind of open but cautious and maybe not quite sure of the way forward. Others, you may be able to look back and say, no, there have been times where I've really found joy in giving. Becoming a cheerful giver, like I I know what that's about. And so wherever you are this morning, there's something in this passage for all of us. So let me just paint the picture for you. Some of you have been here through these last few weeks and, and, and some haven't, but just sort of to, to summarize. Here's the situation. O- over in Jerusalem, there's a group of Christians and they're poor. Don't know exactly why. We know there was a famine in, in, in that area and it may, it may have been that. It may have just been the economic situation. We don't know, but there's this whole group of Christians over here and they're, they're in financial need. Now, Paul, the writer of this letter, he's traveling. He's over here. He's in Greece and he's traveling through several areas on his way to Jerusalem. And as he's doing that, he's collecting money from churches over here to help out this church over here. He's already been to this area of of, uh, Macedonia, very poor area as well, and yet these Christians, out of the abundance of 
grace that they've received from God and salvation in their poverty, they gave extravagantly beyond their, their, their means. And so they've collected that part of the offering. And now Paul, he's, he's there and he's about ready to go to this city called Corinth. He's been talking to the folks in Corinth for a year about this idea and they've agreed that they want to participate in this, but it seems like they've been sort of hesitating and they've become sort of reluctant. And so this reluctance is what generates these two chapters. Chapters 8 and 9, Paul is doing his best to help move these people from being reluctant givers to being radically generous givers and faithful givers keep their promise and to do it cheerfully. Now we've seen in the last couple messages, if you were here and, and if you weren't, I'm going to make sure this is abundantly clear here today. Giving, being generous, isn't just sort of a virtue that you put on or a good thing to do. It's the product of the gospel. It's the effect of the transforming work of Christ Back in chapter 8, he says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. How did he do that? Well, the Son of God clothed himself in a human body, the incarnation. He became a human being. That's a pretty big step down. And he lived a very simple life, lived, lived it without accumulating possessions and, and uh, 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 not having, a, e even in, in the time of his ministry, a, a, a home of, of his own. And then he was crucified on a cross. He became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. He did all that to give himself for the salvation of his people. So he sets this pattern and his spirit in you begins to move you to live in similar ways. So what's happening in this passage is he's not just telling them to, hey, come on, you said you're going to give, just do it. No, he's giving them a vision, and the vision is of the generosity of God. He's showing them how generosity brings you right into the heart of God's big plan for the world. This great and generous God has a generous plan for the world. And when you get involved in giving, you begin to participate in that big plan. Now, the principles that he's giving in these two chapters apply much more broadly than just this situation. They apply to Christians in all places at all times. And so they apply to us. They'll help us understand about giving to our church or supporting missionaries or relieving suffering and so much more. Sort of the, the theme that we've been on through this series is God's radically generous grace motivates and empowers radical generosity, faithful generosity, and today, cheerful generosity. So here's what I, wa here's what I want to do. I hope you fall in love with this passage. This is an amazing passage. It's been my privilege to just be meditating on, on, on it this week. And if you, if you can get this in your spiritual bloodstream, it'll begin to change you. So we're going to take this passage in, in two pieces. We're going to talk about how cheerful giving works. And then we're going to look at what cheerful giving produces. And we're just going to walk line by line, verse by verse through the passage. So first, how cheerful giving works. Get your eyes Back on your Bibles, please. Because what, what we're going to find here in these, the, these first verses is a summary of how cheerful giving 
works. Verse 6 is a principle. It's the principle of the sower. Look at verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, there aren't a lot of farmers in our congregation. We're more likely to be teachers or code writers or, or stu stuff like that. But you don't have to be a farmer to get this principle. Here's, it's not that complicated. Look, if one guy plants a few rows of corn in his backyard vegetable garden and another guy plants 40 acres of corn in his field, here's the question, who's going to get more corn? Right? Not a trick question. This is not that complicated. The principle of the sower is if you put a little in, you're going to get a little out. If you put a lot in, you're going to get a lot out. So the idea is if you give reluctantly, if you're super cautious, if you got your water wings on when it comes to giving, if you're just dangling your toes in the water, well, you're not going to get a lot back. But if you jump all the way in, there's going to be this great return. Now, where the prosperity gospel teachers take this and twist it is to say, and that great return is all for you. So give so you can get rich and, and have everything you want. But that's not the idea here. The idea here is God gives to givers so you can keep giving. You give, receive, give, receive, give, receive. And this cycle goes on. And we'll see how that plays out here. Look at verse 7. Here's the principle of the cheerful giver. Oh, I love this verse. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Money is hard to talk about, isn't it? One of the reasons it's hard to talk about is because the reality is people use pressure and even trickery to get your money. Let's be clear. We will never allow for that to happen here. That's simply not acceptable in God's family. No, the idea is you don't give because you've been tricked into it or pressured into it, but you give because you've freely and joyfully decided what to do. That, that, that's what he says here. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, but what you've decided in your heart. For God loves a cheerful giver. The generous God loves it when people give with cheerful hearts. Why? Why does God love it when you give cheerfully? You know why? Because you've become like him. That's what he's like. He's a joyful and cheerful giver. He gives what he gives, not out of compulsion, but out of joy and delight. Verse 8, here's an assurance. This is an incredible verse. Meditate on this verse this week. Are, are you worried about money? Do you find yourself reluctant or hesitant when it comes to thinking about giving or, or thinking, ah, I could, I'm so far in debt, things are such a disaster, I could, I could never get there. We don't start with your circumstances. We start with the character of the generous God. That's where we start with these things. This is a statement about God's ability, what God is able to do. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to put it on the screen. I'm going to ask you, would you say this together with me? This isn't sort of a mantra that we're repeating. This is God's word and God's word to us. So if we can get this verse up there, say it with me. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Look at the beginning. God is able to make all grace abound to you. Why? Look at the end. So that you may abound in every good work. Isn't that cool? 
He starts with the supply and then he enables you to be generous. And I love how this is so universal. I love the alls in, in this. All grace, all sufficiency, all things, all times, all work that's good. This can, this can work out everywhere in your life. I had an experience of this yesterday morning going to the men's breakfast. I go downstairs. I go over to, to pay and Loris is sitting there and I realize, oh, I left my wallet up in my office. Cool strategy, huh? You like that? <laughs> no, I really, I genuinely forgot it. And Loris says, don't worry. One of the guys before came through and dropped 20 bucks and said, the next person that comes in and doesn't have his money, I got it covered. I was the next person. Thanks, Brian. I appreciate you doing that. <laughs> but what's happening when that happens there? Grace is abounding. And he's abounding in every good work. Just a little thing at a men's breakfast. And you know what? I love this verse. It's not limited to money. Did you notice the language? Abound in every good work. You might not have a lot of money, but you might have experienced a great deal of comfort in suffering. And you can abound in comforting others in their suffering. You might not have a lot of money, but you might be really good at fixing cars. Or counseling people about their careers. Or any of another thousand, ten thousand, hundred thousand different things. There are good works prepared in advance for you to abound in. And God will supply grace so that you can in turn be generous in good works. Look at verse 9. Here's an illustration about how this works. It says, as it is written, he has distributed freely. He's given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Who's the he? He has distributed freely. When I first read this, I thought, well, that's probably God, right? Because he's He's giving all this grace so that you can abound in these good works. But whenever there's a quotation from the Old Testament, you always want to go back and find where it is so you can read it in its context and understand what the writer is drawing from. And so if you go back and look at Psalm 112, you know what you find? The whole psalm is about the blessed man, the blessed woman, the blessed believer. And so the idea here is that whole psalm is describing how one lives a life that brings the blessing of God. And the person who experiences the blessing of God, the person who lives that blessed life is the one who distributes freely, not reluctantly, and gives to the poor. So this person is giving not out of a reluctant, stingy heart, but out of a heart that delights in meeting the needs of others. He doesn't close his eyes to the poor. He shares what he has generously. And then there's a promise. Verses 10 and the first half of 11 are a promise. And the promise is of God's generosity. Now, I've already talked about God's generosity back in verse 8, right? In verse 8, there was an assurance of God's generosity. Do you remember how that verse started? God is able to make all grace abound to you. That's a statement about God's ability. Well, here's a little different take on God's generosity. Verse 11 is, is the promise of God's generosity. Listen to what it says. Verse 10, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will, not is able, will 
supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11, you not can be ability, no, you will promise, be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way. Hear the word of God to you. You will be enriched in every way, to be generous in every way. And that, again, it doesn't mean everybody's going to be financially rich, but it means everybody is going to be given resources with which to be generous. Right? God will enrich you. This is one of those promises that crosses the centuries, and circles the globe. You may think, I don't ha have very much money. You don't know my situation. You're right, I, I don't. But I know the generous nature of God. And I know that you can afford to live generously because God is investing some kind of grace and riches to you. They might not be financial. And then he's positioning you to be a channel of supply because God is generous to us so that he can be generous through us. And that's the exciting part of giving is we get to be part of what God is doing in the world. You can afford to live generously, whatever that looks like for you. So how does, how does cheerful giving work? It starts with God. Right? It starts with the generous God. God generously brings you into his family. He didn't have to do that. But through Christ, he welcomes you by adoption into his family. There's this new covenant that he's made with you. And so now that means there's a new operating system in your heart. The, the Lord has transformed your heart. You're no longer controlled by the love of money or by the fear of lack, but you're now controlled by the love of Christ. And that same Christ who gave up his riches so that those who were poor might become rich, his spirit is at work in you and you're controlled by that same love and you begin to live like him and resemble him. The generous God puts you to work in the world to be generous like he is. And we, beholding the glory of God in the face of Christ, are being transformed to be like him and that means being cheerfully generous because that's what God is like. It's wonderful. It's a great thing to be a Christian. We know and experience this generosity from God and then we get to be part of that generosity being spread out in the world. The good news of salvation, caring for the poor, meeting the needs of other people. So what does this all produce? What happens when you live like this? We'll look at verse 11, the second part. It says, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. And then verse 12, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, going to help those poor saints over there in Jerusalem, it's overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. You see the connection? Thanksgiving. Many thanksgivings to God. How does that work? How does, how does giving produce thanksgiving to God? What's the connection? Well, Christian giving isn't just philanthropy or relief work. Much as we're grateful for philanthropy and relief work that go, go on, appreciate these things. But, but giving in response to the generous God is, is work that's part of the kingdom of God. And it accomplishes things in his kingdom. 
Listen, when these churches over here in Macedonia and, and the region of Achaia where Corinth is, when they send this money to Jerusalem through Paul and his associates, the saints there are going to receive that provision. And you know what's going to come with it? The aroma of Christ. And they realize, wow, there's more going on here than just a check or some cash. God's at work here. And, and you know what they do? They're going to give thanks to God for the way God has met their need through these other believers. And so many thanksgivings ascend to God because of this generosity that's flowed towards Jerusalem to meet their needs. You know, you might just even think about, can we apply this ourselves? When, when someone blesses you, when someone gives you something, when someone gives you a gift or, or supplies a need in some way, that might be a great opportunity to turn to God and, and thank God for that person and the grace that you're experiencing from him through them. Many thanksgivings ascending to God. You know what else it does? Look at verse 13. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they, hear these words, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. While they long for you and pray for you. Think about Think about that. These people have never met. They're likely never to meet. And yet, these recipients of all this gracious gift and giving that, that's come from these other Christians causes them to say, oh, I'd love to meet them. Is there some way we could get over to Corinth one day? Is there some way we could make it to Macedonia? I long to be together with them and have fellowship with them. And, and let's, pr let's pray for them. I wonder what their needs are. Hey, Paul, Titus, you, you guys have been over there. How can we be praying for our, our brothers and sisters over here? Because I guess we're part of the same family, aren't we? And obviously they love us. And wow, we just want to do whatever we can. We don't have money to send back to them, but we can send prayers up to heaven on their behalf. And can you see that when one church shares resources with another church, there's this bond that begins to form. And when one Christian helps meet the need of another Christian, a bond of love is formed. You've had that experience, haven't you? You know how that works. It's not a debt that someone's got to repay. It's love that overflows. Because we recognize we're all members of Christ's body. And God is bringing us together. And he's saying, you know, I'm going to, Give a little extra over here and a little less here so that the need can be met that way. Affection. Intercession. Saints praying for saints. Cheerful giving just produces powerful connections between Christians and between churches. They've never met, but there's this powerful, wonderful connection forming through them. You know, I had an experience of this last weekend as, as Dean Adamek was here from the orphanage, Rancho 3M. And he expressed this, but I, I, as I was reflecting on this, this passage this week, I just, I just wanted to reiterate, he was, it's been two years since we've been able to, to, to be together. We s 
send a team there every year when, when, when we can. COVID has halted that. Hopefully 2022, we can get back to doing that. But he was just overwhelmed with gratefulness and affection for you. Most of you never had a cup of coffee with him, won't know him personally. Most of us will never meet those orphans or spend much time with them down there. But there's this connection, there's this bond that's formed. He was overwhelmed that, you know, of all the churches that are sponsoring students there, this church sponsors more than all the other churches combined. Don't know why that's grace is given to you and you're abounding in that. But I tell you, it affected him. Of all the churches that give to the ranch, I think this church gives the most financial resource each year to them. And that's part of where your money goes when you give in those offerings each week. And the affection and the effect, the joy and the gratefulness that I saw in this ranch director's heart and that he expressed in his words, I I saw this in action. This is how it works. What a joy. We get to be part of what God is doing in Guadalupe, Mexico, even though many of us will never, never be there or never spend very much time there. There's this connection. What's it going to be like standing around the throne? One of those kids who grew up there. You're from Redeeming Grace Church. Thank you. We get to be part of that. Wow. And this is where the passage should end. This is, this is where it should tie up, right here, verse 15. <laughs> Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Is there, can there be anything better than being a part of what God is doing on the earth? Thanks be to God. We get to be part of what he's doing. Thanks be to God for this inexpressible gift. What, what gift? It didn't say. Maybe it's the gift of these Gentile Christians over here and these Jewish Christians over here all being part of the same body of Christ. The wall of hostility has been torn down between every ethnic group, every race, every human barrier destroyed and in our giving we get to be a part of that inexpressible gift. Maybe it's the gift of new life in Christ so radically transforming that a bunch of people who otherwise would be utterly self-centered in how we handle our money are all of a sudden transformed to be generous people. Maybe it's the inexpressible gift that this need, they've been working on this offering for more than a year. These people over here in Jerusalem have been in need for a long time. Maybe the inexpressible gift is they're finally going to get some help. But certainly, without a doubt, the inexpressible gift, in addition to those things, and above all those things, is Jesus Christ himself. Amen. God's radically generous grace motivates and empowers cheerful generosity. Now, I'm a visual person and as I worked on the text this week, I was trying to just get my head around, what, what is this? What, like, what's happening here? And so I want to try an experiment here. Uh-oh.
All right, sermon chart. There we go. I want to try showing you a picture of what's happening here. And maybe this will help the visual among us get this. Picture, just think about what's going on. Got a bunch of saints in need over here, right? God's in heaven. Hey, give us today our daily bread. How often do you have the experience that you have a need and God supplies it, right? Happens all the time. Happens everywhere. Happens to churches, happens to Christians. And what happens when, when that happens? You're that saint in need. Your church is, is, is in need and God supplies that need. Well, you give thanks to God, right? Not complicated. This happens all the time. Praise God when, when that happens. God often meets needs that way, but sometimes he does something different. And God does this. I want you to get this. God sets it up this way. So now you got the saints in need over here, and you got some other saints over here in Corinth. And you know what happens? God says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give grace to those Corinthians. And then I'm going to work in their hearts by the Spirit so that they can give this gift to the saints in need over here in Jerusalem. What happens then? Well, the most important thing is God gets praised again, right? That's cool. But what else happens? Well, something that wouldn't have happened happens because God sends the supply through someone else. Those saints over here in Jerusalem say, wow, we're part of something bigger than just ourselves. There's people we've never met who love us and God loves us so much that he gave extra to them to meet our need. And so there's this affection that grows in between these two churches and these two regions. And there's this prayer that goes back. And then what happens when that happens? The Corinthians say, whoa, can you believe what we get to be a part of? God is using us to accomplish his work in the world of all the people in the world that God might select to be part of what he's doing. The generous God has given something to us that we could pass to them and meet their need. Oh God, thank you that we get to be part of your kingdom. Isn't that cool? So what happens is God sets things up so that some people get some extra and some people don't have enough so that everybody gets blessed and he gets double praise in the process. And sometimes you're on the having extra part and sometimes you're on the not enough part. Sometimes it flips around. Your life can change and go back and forth. But behind it all is this generous God who incredibly says, come be part of my kingdom and I'm going to show you my generous ways and I'm going to let you be part of it. Sometimes you're going to receive and sometimes you're going to give. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. Isn't that cool? That's what we get to be part of in Christ's kingdom. Some people think Christianity is boring. Are you kidding? We get to be part of what God is doing in the world as a church. We want to excel in the grace of giving, not just as a group of individuals, but as a church. Yesterday, the annual plan and budget went out. Can I have a round of applause for the annual plan? But just kidding, you don't have to applaud for that. I've actually never heard a church applaud for the annual plan and budget. But... But I want to tell you something. When you open it up, check it out. Outreach. 9% of our budget is going 
to local outreach, to international outreach, to ministry partners through the giving that you are doing to this congregation, church plants in Arlington and Norfolk and Lincoln Heights in D.C. The pastor there, Jeremy McLean, he's going to be preaching here on Labor Day weekend. You are a part of what God is doing in those places. And thank you to Sojourn members because you that's part of the legacy of what you've brought into our combined church is, is those participations. Do you know through your giving, you're helping to start a, a, a new seminary in the Dominican Republic where there's a desperate need for sound doctrine and training pastors in sound theology. Do you know that through your giving, you are part of the generosity of God in outreach to, to, to refugees here in Fairfax, but also in the Middle East. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift that we as a congregation get to be a part of what God is doing in all these different lives and in all these different places. And I just want to encourage you, some of you here this morning, you're like those Macedonians. You, you may not have a lot, maybe you do, but you've had the joy of being able to be generous in the past and, and I just want to encourage you, keep going and excel in that grace. And maybe you're here and you're kind of like the Corinthians this morning and, and you're like, I'm not sure, not quite sure where to start. A little reluctant. I want to encourage you to take a step. Ask God to help you. Decide in your heart and take a step towards generous giving. Start somewhere. Maybe you're in that position of those saints in need in Jerusalem. I want to encourage you take heart. God's supply is coming for you. Don't bear that burden alone. Reach out. Let someone bear it with you. Let's let one of the elders know if you're in need financially here too. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So we're going to tangibly thank God for his in inexpressible gift right now by transitioning to the Lord's Supper and to singing. So...